Lord Jesus, what does it mean that you came to earth for us? Help us to understand that by what you say to us in your scriptures. Use our thoughts in this next few minutes to connect us to you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Last week, after the Thanksgiving service, a little girl about seven years old came up to me and motioned to me that she wanted to say something. And, and sometimes the, the kids like to talk to the guy they see up front, which makes me feel like a rock star. So, you know, that's kind of cool. So I bent down and said, yeah, sure. What, what do you want to say? And she said, your jokes aren't very funny. <laughs> Ouch. Her father is part of a group of elders that reviews my sermons on Thursday morning before I give them, and he couldn't be there this week, but he offered to send his daughter instead. I said, no thanks. (laughs) That was not what I was expecting in that moment, but that is what I want to talk about today. Expectations, not my bad jokes. Christmas is a time of expectations. Every day my four-year-old asks, is today Christmas Because she doesn't understand that the Christmas shopping season goes from Labor Day to New Year's. (laughs) She is filled with expectation. But that first Christmas was not. This Advent, I'm doing a sermon series called Motley Crue about the various characters in the Christmas story. You know, when God decided to come himself in the person of Jesus, the people he picked to be a part of it were a pretty motley assortment of folk. An unwed teenage mother group of shepherds who in that culture would have been considered morally and socially unclean, three scientists from a country that's today called Iraq. It's a motley crew. As I've said in the past, you don't want God as your HR guy. He hires the wrong people, at least by our standards. But maybe the strangest of all is the one that we read today about an elderly couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth who have very low expectations of God and what God can do. And it's not that they're bad. In fact, they're good. The text says that Zechariah is a priest and Elizabeth is a descendant of Aaron. And since all priests had to be descended from Aaron, that's just a fancy way of saying they're both pastor's kids. They believe in God. They go to worship. They obey his commands. They just don't expect God to do anything great. And with good reason. They're infertile. And in that culture, that would have exposed them to all kinds of shame and ridicule. And year after year, they have prayed to have a child. All through their 20s, they prayed. All through their 30s. All through their 40s, they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. 10,950 days of praying, only to be disappointed every 28 days. And now they're old, and it doesn't seem like it's possible to happen at all. And it's not that they don't think that God is good, they just don't know what good is He, or what He's good for. Certainly not anything that they care about, at least as far as they can tell. And in this, Zechariah and and, and Elizabeth are symbolic of the whole nation of Israel, because when this story begins, it's been 400 years since there's been a prophet to speak God's word to the people. Basically, they've gone 400 years without a sermon, which I know may sound good to many of you, (laughs) but they didn't like it, and that's really the point. 400 years with no miracles. 400 years where God has seemed silent. Meanwhile, his people were conquered first by the Babylonians, then by the Persians, then by the Greeks, and then by the Romans. And generation after generation had prayed, Lord, deliver us. But for 400 years, 
that prayer had not been answered. Israel, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're all barren. They still believe in God, but it's like a marriage gone south. They're not going to divorce God. They'll keep going through the motions of worshiping him. But they had a lot of disappointment and they didn't expect that he could do much of anything at all. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel that there have just been too many wounds, too many unanswered prayers, too many things you've hoped for only not to get them, just too many things, and it's easy to lose hope and get cynical that God can or will do anything significant in our lives? I know sometimes I feel that way. We think, you know, God can't really change me. I'm going to be stuck with the same bad habits, same foul temper, same addiction, same whatever that I've always had. Why should I expect anything more? Or God can't really heal my marriage. It's been too long. Or God doesn't really care about my career or health or whatever, my relationships, whatever. Why should I even ask? But the promise of Christmas is that God can, we can have great expectations of what God can do in, through, and for us. For starters, Christmas shows us that God's promises are what's true, not our circumstances. You know, the problem with Zechariah is he's looking at his circumstances instead of God's promises. God has promised a Savior to Israel. God has promised Zechariah a son. But Zechariah doesn't believe God's promises. He believes his circumstances. But what happens in this story? God shows up, says, Zechariah, your prayers have been answered. I've heard you. You're going to have a son. And Zechariah discovers that God's promises are the true things, not what our circumstances tell us. And what has God promised us? God has promised that he'll always be with us, even if at times we don't experience it. That he'll make us to be like him. That he'll make all things work for good. He doesn't promise all things will be good. He just promises to pull good out of everything, even the tough stuff. What Zechariah learns is that God delivers on his promises. And because of that, God's promises are more true than his circumstances. Even when we have to wait for those promises to happen. Which brings me to the second thing that Christmas shows us. And that is while we definitely can have great expectations of God, we may need to wait on God's timing for those expectations to be fulfilled. There's a lot of waiting in this story. Zechariah waits his whole life for a son. Israel waits 400 years for their Messiah. A lot of waiting. And we are not very good at waiting, are we? It goes against our culture. My wife and I were out driving a while back and we saw a church that had this sign on it that said, Spiritual wholeness in three hours. And my wife said, Man, how come we can't have spiritual wholeness in three hours at our church? And I said, Because we're Presbyterians. It'll take a year just to form the committee, right? But that's what we want, isn't it? Instant answers. And if we don't get a fast answer, if we don't get married when we want to, or, or the career doesn't go the way we want to, or, or God doesn't respond quickly enough, according to us, then we are just sure that he's abandoned us. He hasn't abandoned us. He's asked us to wait. There's a difference. And waiting is very important because as we wait, God grows our character and makes us the people he's designed us to be. I waited way longer than I wanted to in order to get married. But as I waited... I learned to be a better friend. I learned to be more patient. I got closer to God. All things I was going to need to be a husband someday. More important than what we wait for is who we become as we wait. 
And the good thing that Zechariah does here is he doesn't give up. Yeah, he may be a little bit cynical. Yeah, maybe he's a little bit disappointed, but he keeps going to worship. He keeps praying. He cultivates the discipline of being in touch with God so that when God does start to move, Zechariah is in a place where he can recognize it. We need to stay in touch with God so that when God does act, we are in a place that we can see it happen. Christmas means God's promises are true, not our circumstances, even when we have to wait. And finally, Christmas shows us that when God begins to work in our lives, he sometimes begins very small. You know, after 400 years, you would think that when God launched his rescue operation to this planet, he'd have done it in a big way, right? But really, he does it in kind of a small way. This is kind of a small event. I mean, the first indication that that God's going to do anything at all is that Zechariah is chosen by lottery to burn incense in front of the altar. It's an honor, but it's hardly a miracle. And yes, Zechariah sees an angel, and we think, well, if I saw an angel, I'd never doubt. But Zechariah doubted, so apparently angels aren't the deal closers. We think that they are. And and maybe Zechariah doubted because he lived in a culture where nobody believed in miracles. It had been 400 years. Or, I don't know, maybe angels look more ordinary than we think they look. As I was reviewing this sermon with some elders this week, three out of 11 of them said that they had seen an angel, but that they don't tell anyone about it because they're afraid people will think they're crazy. And, you know, seeing an angel hasn't gotten rid of all their doubts and all their questions. So, you know, apparently maybe angels look more ordinary than we think. Maybe this angel to Zechariah just looked like a really shiny person. I don't know. Whatever the case, Zechariah is not convinced. Essentially, the Christmas story begins with a cynical old man who can't believe God even when he sees an angel and it just goes downhill from there. Right? Next, we get an unwed teenage mother giving birth in a barn. I mean, had you been there and seen these things on the ground in real time without the aura of Christmas cards around them, right, you might have said a lot of things, but you probably would not have said in your best Charlton Heston voice, Behold, the hand of God. Right? Ever notice how he always said God? No, anyway, it would be very easy to miss the fact that God was on the move. So if you're wondering why God isn't doing something about your problem, maybe he is. You just can't see it yet. God often begins small. In my former church, one Sunday, the senior pastor handed out paper roses to everybody. And he said, these roses represent some impossible hope that you have. That thing that you've almost stopped praying for because you just don't believe that God's ever going to answer that prayer. That's what this rose represents, he said. He said, I want you to keep praying for that thing. Don't give up. And then when God answers your prayer, however he does that, when you feel you've heard an answer from God, send the rose back to the church along with the story of what God did. And then he collected all of those roses and he put them in a wreath and he hung it on the pulpit every December. Well, the first couple of years, there weren't many roses in the wreath. But year by year, there was a little little more, a little more, a little more. It took some people as long as 12, 15 years to send their rose back to get their answer. But they did. They got an answer. And there were some miracles. Marriages healed after years of brokenness. Cancer suddenly cured in ways doctors couldn't explain. And then there were other prayers that were answered, but in a different way than the people had hoped for at first. But it was still wonderful. Things like a childless childless couple who never did get pregnant, but instead used their time to be part of a ministry that, that fulfilled them in all kinds of ways that maybe wouldn't have happened if they'd had kids of their own. 
or cancer that didn't heal, but finding a peace and a closeness with God that they never knew existed before. And almost always they would say, this isn't what I thought I wanted, but God met me. And in some ways it's better. And every December we would stare at that wreath knowing that each rose represented some impossible prayer that had been answered for all we knew for the person sitting right next to us. It took time. Often those answers started very small, but then they grew. In one case, a father and daughter had been had a difficult relationship for years and it, and it healed, but it started on an ordinary visit when the father simply said, it's been good to be with you today. That's how the miracle started. You could have missed it, but it grew from there. And each of the roses in that wreath proclaimed the Christmas truth that God's promises are what's real, not our circumstances. And even when God's answer isn't quite what we expect it to be, it's always good. And he always gives us himself and he always pulls good things even out of hard times. In last week's sermon, Greg told us that when we change our expectations of God, we see him in a new way. You know, and so often, our expectations of what God can do are so low, we don't expect or imagine or ask that he do anything at all. We don't believe he can do something amazing. I have a friend who's a pastor, and one of his parishioners said to him once, you know, pastor, the Bible tells us to preach and teach and heal, Pastor, you preach and teach, why don't you heal? And my friend said, well, because I've tried that before and not much happens. The parishioner said, well, when you preach, not much happens either, but it doesn't stop you. (laughs) We have such low expectations of God. We don't believe he's capable of greatness. And even when we do see evidence of the miraculous, we doubt it like Zechariah, or we're afraid to talk about it, or we explain it away. You know, the cancer suddenly heals, we call it an anomaly. You look that up in a Dr. English, English Dr. Dictionary, it translates miracle. But we explain it away anyway. I have a friend who worked as a chaplain in a psychiatric hospital. And her supervisor told her not to pray with the patients because it would give them a false hope. He said, we don't want them to expect too much from God and, and then get disappointed. Hello, she's a chaplain and she can't pray. Does that make sense to you? Well, she obeyed for a while until she met a patient named Frank. And every time she walked onto that chronic, locked men's ward that smelled of cigarettes and sweat, Frank would meet her sobbing. And he would say over and over, Have you come to take me home, Kim? Have you come to take me home? And his drool would mix with his tears and as his hands would shake as he grabbed her. Well, after about six months of this, she, she couldn't take it anymore. So she glanced around one day to make sure that her supervisor wasn't in sight. And she said a quick, furtive, illegal prayer for Frank. And even dared to ask that God would make it possible for Frank to go home. Whatever that meant for him. Well, a couple days later, she went back to the ward, but Frank wasn't there. And her heart started thumping and and she asked the nurse, where's Frank? And the nurse said, funny thing, we didn't think Frank had any family, but apparently his sister had been looking for him for years. And finally discovered him here, came and visited, worked through all the details and she took him home. Prayer answered. God can do amazing things. Too often I relate to the supervisor in that story. Don't expect too much, rather than my friend, who believed that God can do amazing things. And I know some of the questions that might be in your head right now. Well, what about when you pray and he doesn't go home? Or the infertility doesn't go away? Or the marriage doesn't heal? What about then? I know. And I have all of those questions too. And I have preached dozens of sermons 
on those questions. And I'd refer you to them. But for today, I want to ask the opposite question. What happens when God does do the amazing? And do you believe that he can? You know, the names in this story are very significant. Zechariah means the Lord remembers. The name Elizabeth means the Lord is an oath, or in modern English, God makes good on his promises. And the name John means the Lord is gracious. So let me ask you this. This Christmas, what's your rose? If we were handing them out, what would be your rose? That impossible situation. Troubles in relationships, troubles with health, troubles in career. Maybe it's just your own plain sinfulness. What's your rose? And this Christmas, can you have faith? You don't need a lot. Jesus says a thimbleful is enough. Can you have faith to keep praying, keep hoping? Because Christmas means the Lord remembers. He makes good on his promises. He is gracious and he is always on time. To be sure, he's on his time, but he's on time. Two summers ago, a friend offered Christina and me tickets to go to a Mariners game. And I loved going to games and he'd offered before, but but I'd always turned him down because I had meetings or something like that. And I almost turned him down this time, but I didn't. And he said, you know what, they're really good seats. Well, since I always sit in the nosebleed section, anything below freezing level would be good to me, right? So when I got the tickets, they said, Diamond Club on them. I thought, well, that can't be bad, right? Oh, my. Oh, my. I have never seen a baseball game until that day, right? And they came with a special parking pass so we didn't have to park in Federal Way and walk like we normally do. (laughs) There was this special restaurant with all this amazing food. I mean, we're not talking hot dogs. We're talking steak, salmon, all kinds of cake. Only it wasn't called cake. It was called gâteau which is a word that means cake. <laughs> but when you call a gâteau, it just tastes so much better. And then, then we went to our seats, second row, behind home plate. It is a different game down there. <laughs> you can see the whites of their eyes. You can see the pitch going 85 miles an hour and what that really looks like. You could heckle and it would count. <laughs> I have a point. <laughs> Choir's wondering. My friend told us they were good seats. He promised. He made a promise. But we almost passed him up. Because our expectations of Mariners games were down here. But what my friend promised was way up here. And as it turned out, our expectations wasn't what's true. In spite of all of our experience, our expectations were not what's true. Not our circumstances. It was my friend's promise that was true. That's so often how we approach God, low expectations. But faith is believing in advance what will make sense only in reverse. Did you hear me, cerebral types? Faith is believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. So what's your rose? And can you have great expectations for what God can do regardless of your circumstances? And yes, it may take some time. And yes, it may be a little different than you think it is when the answer comes. And yes, it may start small and you might almost miss it at first. But God has promised good to you and good he will secure. As the Christmas carol says, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. This is the way that God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, at least at first. But in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. So, Lord Jesus, take our impossible situations. 
Take the marriages that aren't working right. Take the health that is on the fritz. Take the relationships that are broken, the careers that are stalled, the hopes that have been dashed. Lord, we ask that you would take all of those things. We lay them at the foot of your cross. And we will wait. We will wait in hope for you to transform them. And we know you will. And then we will give you the glory. We pray all of this in the powerful name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen.